Welcome to Pixel What You Preach. Today we've got Alex, the founder of Polygon Treehouse. So can you give me a bit of an intro into who you are and kind of like a little snapshot? Sure thing. So I founded the Polygon Treehouse with Tom, who I met at university. And one of our final year projects was set by PlayStation. Mm -hmm. Um, But this was like way back in 2002. So it's PlayStation 2 era, showing my my age. And we both got jobs off the back of that as junior artists. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was working in characters animation and Tom was working in environments. And we we worked in different roles uh, over many years at Sony in its different guise. It became Guerrilla Cambridge at one point. Mm-hmm. And um, and we both ended up being art directors by the end. And then the studio unfortunately closed. But when one door closes, another one opens, and we it decided <laughs> we decided to um, to start our own thing. And we were we were really interested in making in non-violent games and making narrative games. So we decided to um, start Polygon Treehouse and went from there. Amazing. So, what are some of your highlights of your career? So I think the very first game I worked on was a game called Ghost Hunter for PlayStation 2, which I I think you always remember your first shipped game probably. Yeah. And at the time it was kind of a lot of um a lot of hard work. Um but the yeah, it was just a very exciting time being the first thing I'd worked on. Um so that was definitely one that sticks in my memory. I think the the um Killzone Mercenary and the Killzone Killzone Two, the Killzone games that I, I worked on that was a big there were a kind of a kind of milestone moment for me going out to Amsterdam working with the art directors out there who were really mm. uh, um at the you know they were very particular uh, but really kind of on the board knew what they wanted know all about the process that was a really big a growing a moment of growth and even though the games we make now are so far removed visually from yeah. something like Killzone a lot of those underlying principles really stayed with us um so that was a really, um, yeah, really another really big one. And then um, obviously Rookie. So that was our the first our first indie game. So that's yeah. probably the 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 most prominent one. It was the first time that we got to make a game of our own from the ground up. That was mm-hmm. um, guessing a more of a personal expression about who we are and what type of stories we want to tell and what kind of games we want to make. So that was a real scary jump into the unknown but um we were really thrilled how how it was received when you're making a game you sure you're aware you're quite close to it so sometimes you can't really see the the bigger picture and so yeah. when when we released it, it was really nice to see how well it was received and and uh, loads of people played it now which is great um, yeah I, I love it by the way i'm a big fan <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's were, good. You, were yeah. you surprised at how well it was received because it, it did win quite a lot of awards didn't it it did. It got nominated for a couple of BAFTAs, and it won. Um, yeah, it won quite a few. So that was really great. I think the thing we were really surprised by was because uh, it's a really small team, really small, small budget. Um, I think we were we were quite surprised how much the um, the emotional narrative of Tuve and her family rose to the surface in the game. Because mm. we, we were making the game, we saw it predominantly as this kind of modern dark fairy tale with creepy mon- monsters, but we wanted to make sure that. We gave due attention to the the you know the story of Tube and her family as a counterpoint to the story of the monsters and their kind of family and um and actually we we really we didn't want to do it by half, so we really invested a lot of time into that, but we thought that might be something that kind of sat in the background as like a supporting element, 
Whereas yeah. when actually people played the game, that actually really rose to the surface and connected with people. Um, so that was that was um, a bit of a surprise, uh, but a very pleasant one. So. Yeah. Also, like you got music made by composers, didn't you? And the, the music's really, really good. I think that kind of sets like a lot of the tone, which matches with the visuals. Was that something that you felt was important early on? Yeah, so that's one of our lessons from working at, at Sony was um, the importance of, of music and audio early on. It's mm-hmm. often um, uh, it's often pushed backwards. Audio is treated quite poorly sometimes. Yeah, like, like a secondary. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so we tend to we 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 work in a kind of opposite way. We've done that again with Mythrex, where we bring the audio forwards and kind of use it as the defining voice. So we. Really early on in Rookie's development, we'd play the game, even just like Greybox stuff, and we'd just press play on a streaming service of your choice and uh, <laughs> and try try different uh, try different music tracks. And there would be some we'd think, oh, maybe this is even before we had a composer, just to get an idea tonally and what what we wanted and what would feel good. So, for, so for example, and this is a really interesting exercise because, mm. for example, we had a track from um, the uh, the movie The Fountain, the soundtrack for The Fountain, um, which is a great film. Um, so we thought that would be great; it's really atmospheric. And we um, and so we, we played a bit of the game, press play. Well, how did it make us feel? It was so depressing. <laughs> but, oh, <no>. um, <laughs> But, but basically, it's, that was a really good process of like going, okay, actually, it's not that. Uh, what is it? And, uh, yeah. and and trying to kind of use some of those shortcuts to us ourselves to understand what we want, needed to tone the music. And then when we um, we found Jason or Aether, as he's as he's known, um, it gave me a lot to go from. And also, in it's always good to find a composer or an artist who does something in the style you already does stuff in the style that you want rather than trying to get some push someone towards something yeah that's, that's um, a good tip so yeah he, his um his work really resonated with us and uh it like it gives a lot of room for uh like the game to breathe it's got lots of you know it's not like super in your face all the time it can re- sit quite nicely in the background sometimes um and yes we've carried on working with a third last jason on uh on Mythrect, and that's been great obviously very um shares a lot of the dna obviously it's complete opposite in some ways so yeah quite cold and snowy mythrex sunny and on a uh, on a sun-drenched island um but he's done a really great job um i think you can definitely tell that it's it's his music but it's yeah. um yeah it's quite a quite a departure it's almost like lounge beats beach music it's nice. kind of quite it's quite nice yeah so you mentioned that you picked up quite a few tips from working at Sony and, you know, like going across uh, working with Gorilla and that kind of thing. Is there any other kind of things that you learned that you using your job? Because uh, like you said, like the audio, was there any other tips that kind of you've learned? Yeah, absolutely. So really, let me see if I can rattle them off. Um, <laughs> so one really good one is get things in game as soon as possible. Yes, I'm a big believer in that. hundred percent. But uh, yeah, and just the idea behind that, your listeners, is just like you could spend ages noodling on something, and then you get it in game and go, it's the size of a pea, <laughs> and you're never, <laughs> yeah. never going to see any of the detail that you've um, you've meticulously crafted in something. Um, and the same goes. That's like not like um, you know, 3D work. That's also for like animations and stuff like going. Oh, you, you could have, you know, you get something in really quickly. You actually that, that makes the character very irresponsive. Though actually, we don't want that. We need difference that was um that was a really good one and i think i think that's also just really kind of about um 
working from the broad brush strokes. Agreed, yeah. In. So basically, again, so you're kind of going really blocking stuff out, proving stuff out, and then just trying to make the most of your time as like indie developers, as game developers in general, as indie developers especially, like time is our most valuable people. So actually, yeah. Yeah, then there's a real need to work as smart as you can. You're going to go down some like uh, some dead ends and you'll try some things that won't work and that's totally fine. Um, but then maybe don't try not to spend so long exploring them. You know, yeah. uh, try, try to do things uh, do things uh, quickly. And communications are really a good one as well. Communicating stuff with a team, I think, be big. Um, uh, yeah, I think if, if you're kind of sharing stuff as you're going as a team, then you maybe don't have to invest so much effort into doing big showcases where we sh- where we're showcasing all these different things actually we'll just share stuff as we're going like on our company our, our team slack we have a show and tell channel where people will show new icons new animations yeah. new what ui work and so everyone can have a kind of ambient awareness of what's going on in the game um and that's really nice so that you can you know everyone can kind of osmos ideas from other people and i think generally like people um can keep up with like where the game is going and and how it's progressing and i think one of the other really important things uh like tonally when working on a game is is having that kind of tonal pillar of like what is it what defines it just to make sure that people are on the same page about what the tone of the game is yeah. so like for, for mythrex one of the things we kind of come back to is like tonally it should be like a, a modern saturday morning cartoon so they oh, so, i love that they can still tackle like stuff like Steven Universe or Adventure Time or like the new mm. She-Ra series if you're aware of any of those. But there's there's stuff that can still tackle some quite um like hard hitting subjects, but it should always like do it in quite a a, a positive way. And th- that kind of sense of welcoming people back and entertaining people was something at the fork. I think with the world turning to poop everywhere in yeah. in, in every single aspect of the world, there's like um as emotional sponges, which I'm sure like most uh, game developers are, it's it's very easy if you're not careful to make the bleakest game. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I do find personally, like I prefer to play more colorful games. Like they tend to go more onto Switch, and I think you know it, it's good to kind of bring some brightness into things. Like you know, it is a hard time, and that's one of the things I really liked about Rocky. It was like you just went on this nice little journey, and it was like snowy and even though there was like a darkness there was always this like element of hope mm. and it kind of felt like you're a kid kind of exploring you know you'd you'd pick up things and there was like monsters and stuff along the way you know it's super fun and you know there was like massive like legend of zelda vibes which huh. i'm guessing there was a lot of inspiration with that yeah there was a few like um touch points so i think one was the um yeah so we originally spied by monkey island that had that yeah, um, we wanted to make like a modern, like 3D version, and kind of our spin, and that had. There's no kind of real comedy in, and that's the thing. Point and click adventure games can tend to be quite comedy focused, and and yeah. Rookie definitely isn't that. But we still wanted that. It's guessing that's a emotional mix of like creepy but cute, and I think that came from um, like the the original Scandinavian folk tales and stuff like the Moomins, where it can be like quite jovial, but then also there's this. There's some quite sinister characters yeah. in there. Gotta love, quite, quite quite love the moomins. Yeah, there's one. Is there any here? 
No, I don't know the rears. Oh no. no. No, I've got some tint and stuff, but there's a moon. They've got a moon somewhere. It's just. Uh, I've got moomins in, in my house as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, how do you pitch a game then? Because obviously, like, you had like a concept that you wanted to work with. Is there any kind of tips? Like, what was the process to kind of, you know, get that together and get it published? Because that's obviously like a big step. Yeah. So, I mean, I think. The, there's generally when you're when you're looking to pitch a game to a publisher, there's two things generally you'll need. Um, one is a, a pitch deck, and one mm-hmm. is a, is a is a kind of a vertical slice demo, or it's a, a demo, a short demo, giving an idea of like what the game is and how it plays. Um, and a pitch deck uh, for your listeners who maybe don't know is essentially a, a, a fifteen slide PDF presentation that you could email to people. So it needs to be kind of Low, fifteen meg or whatever the email limit is these days, um, and it's basically a really like a visually pleasing information, like a a really kind of carefully manicured presentation. So basically, very engaging. So lots of artwork, not so much text, but the text that's in there is really kind of packing a punch. And the idea is to really clearly communicate what your game idea is to people who probably very short in time and they see a lot of these things so it's kind of your kind of calling card to go this is our game this is why we want to make it this is our team this is why we think it's a good like uh it makes good business sense comparing like the budget to you know sales figures of other games that are kind of in a similar genre maybe and this is what we need and this is what time frame is we're going to do it and it is really it it is really really quite high level uh, but you can spend a lot of time working in this this thing, so it's like a just this a beautiful presentation that yeah. kind of really really quickly communicates what you want to um, to publish. And then, then I think the other part of the process is finding the the publishers you want to pitch to. Yeah. So, like, not all publishers are the same. Different publishers will specialize in different genres of games or different like tonal. You know, like Devolve, for example, they make quite punk. Yeah, there's lots of different genres, but there's what is that? feeling of anarchy and punk um whereas the, the publisher we're partnered with with mythrect our new game is whitethorn games and they mm-hmm. focus on non-violent um games that everyone can everyone can play so they were a really good fit for us yeah did you kind of set yourself like a time limit of you know i'm, I'm gonna spend so long on this pitch because i guess it's really easy to kind of keep going backwards and forwards and trying to perfect it before you've kind of got to that you know that point yeah you've got to you have to stop somewhere um because like because you could keep on like improving it for um like forever and so there will be a point where you kind of you have to stop and get it in front of people but i think you can also focus test your pitches as well and that's a really good indication of when you can stop polishing or iterating on on it you can basically like rather than sending it to a publisher where you, you may not get any feedback they may just go it's not for us you'd show it to your friends or colleagues and go like, tell them what you think. And try. I think trying to get feedback from them in a non-leading way and just mm-hmm. kind of almost like interviewing them, see what they understand about the game, see what kind of what feelings it gives them, whether it's something they think sounds exciting or that thinks sounds boring. Um, and so I think, yeah, you can definitely kind of um, iterate on those things to, to a point. Um, and like different publishers may want to see different information on those as well. So. Um, but yeah, that can be the kind of pitching process can be quite um, quite lengthy. I think that's why it's good to 
uh, try and identify the publishers that you think would be the best fit and and kind of pitch to them first um just to kind of like try and reduce the number of kind of conversations you're having with different publishers because they can be quite long conversations yeah and obviously we talked about earlier about how you know time was a really important most valuable asset that we have um and so yeah if you want to try and um uh yeah like minimize the amount of time that those conversations are taking if, if possible i think also as well like you could be sensible about how like, the budget which is a, in the budget breakdown which is a big part of pitch decks um mm-hmm. you have to make sure that that's like your um like you're making a really art house small indie game that maybe is really important to you but maybe doesn't have the biggest audience in the world asking for a huge amount of money to make it is probably not gonna not gonna um be received that well it's yeah. almost like make, making sure you know you you're asking for a certain budget because publishing games is a business in the end that they you know they'll 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 want to be confident they can get a return on their investment. So I think you've also got to be quite honest with yourself before you're sending those things out about you know, what are you asking for. And if if you were to ask you for that money and it was your money, would you give you the money? And if you, if the answer is no, um, then you should probably go and have a look at it again. And, uh, and so I think you've got to, be, got to be really honest with yourself. Yeah. And I guess like having the experience and kind of going through the process of shipping a game is like really beneficial because I think like a lot of people think they've got really great ideas, but then like you said, you know, they've not done the breakdown of the cost and, you know, they don't have the experience to kind of, you know, get to that point. So would you say that it's definitely good to have the experience of like shipping a game and, you know, that kind of thing? absolutely like finishing games is the hardest thing in the world like it is yeah, it's, it's so hard <laughs> it's an endurance um, test and just yeah and that's the kind of thing because you'll have all these it starts really exciting there's all these ideas like we could do this we could do this and then the base of this consolidation phase and then there's a I guess getting it done and it's really difficult because you'll like some stuff will get cut um as so i think going into i think you know, having shipped a game or done uh, like a game jam game or done like a, a game that's a free but showing that you can ship something is a, I think is a really valuable thing and will give uh, publishers uh, confidence and and, yeah. and that does get easier like um, so we've been making games for a long time it, in like uh, you know, only before we were, we were indie but still like, doing our first indie game was a massive learning experience for us and now obviously we've taken those learnings onto our second game Mythrex there's still stuff we're learning now, and that's going to be constant. You're always going to be learning things, but hopefully, the you know, such word things get easier a little yeah. bit over, over time. The more the more games you make, and the more you learn. I think it's quite good for you to say that as well, because you know, like even somebody like yourself that's got a lot of experience, like you're still learning. And I think you need to remember that because sometimes when you're starting out, you're like, you know, like, oh, I don't know anything, and all these people know everything. But you do have to keep like evolving and learning, don't you? Yeah, and I think that's it's really important, especially when you get to like my, a kind of seasoned age that I am. Like, um, <laughs> so like it's uh, it's kind of rare, rare to be like, um, like a lot of indie developers are quite young, and obviously there's different routes and different things. And like, you know, some people would go indie straight from uh, from uni, and, and obviously we were, we were quite different. So I think like it's really important in any career, probably to uh, that's a really incredibly good quality to have like the eagerness to learn if you don't know how to do something be interested in it go oh how do i do that what's the solution to this uh, and not to be kind of um 
almost like for your kind of skills to gradually get eroded over time or becoming a, becoming irrelevant to keep on learning new things and to pushing yourself into new directions. Actually, go, doing indie stuff has been really great for, for us um, in that case because you're going, okay, well, now I'm doing UI one day and now I'm yeah. doing, yeah, now we're doing business stuff. Okay, now we're working with sound designers. So a lot of some of those things we touched upon, um, you know, in our in our previous lives at Sony. But it's um, but yeah, it's really it's really great just to be learning new stuff like day in day out. Usually, there's it's very rare I'll have a week where I won't have learned something. I think that's something yeah, to be that's really, really embraced. Good. Yeah. So at the moment, you're working on Mifrex, which is supposed to come out this year. Mm. Um. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, it's very different from Rocky. Like you said, it's very like sunsort kind of game, and you know, is it the same kind of themes? Like, you're kind of following like a story, and it's got that kind of like feel good vibes. Yeah, so it's definitely a narrative heavy game. So the idea behind the game is you play um, as a shipwreck backpacker who's mm-hmm. caught in a mysterious storm and washes up on this island that is got uh, ancient Greek ruins on it and is home to a family of misfits who've all lost their memories and have all fallen out with each other and kind of retreated to lock themselves away in different corners of the island and the 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 twist which is not much of a twist because we're being very open about it in all the game's marketing is that this family of misfits are the long lost greek gods so you get hermes and hades and aphrodite and athena and it's about you not being a god, being a normal person, um, trying to actually, you know, help to um, stimulate their memories and, and like find lost items to give them flashbacks, and then you know gradually reunite them as a family. So there's still themes of like you know families and communities and um, and and friendship that we really that are still kind of core to the game. So there's definitely some commonalities there with. With working, the actual the game was in kind of inspired by COVID lockdowns and stuff like that. So we yeah. kind of you couldn't travel anywhere, you couldn't go on holiday, uh, and so actually having a game where you know you couldn't go meet a lot of your friends even or like your loved ones. So a game where you got to go to somewhere new, go to a sun drenched island, and actually meet new people and make new friends and reconnect with family. I think that was obviously there was something. Lot of stuff going on in the world, and obviously there still is to a certain degree. And so, um, so there, I think those. Whilst you wouldn't look at the game and go, "This is a game inspired by COVID lockdowns," mm-hmm. then there's there's, um, there's definitely uh, a kind of undercurrent of of reconnecting with people. And oh, um, yeah, yeah. So, what was what's what one of your favorite things about Mifrect, and what was one of the biggest challenges working on it? Obviously, it's not shipped yet, so it's still in the process, but yeah. Yeah, so we've still got uh, a little ways to go. I think it's um we've we're collaborating with a few new people. So we're collaborating with a new sound designer and new writer, um Sergio Melindi and that's always nice to kind of welcome new people into the fold. So that's that's been really um been really great. And again, we tried to learn from our first game and we basically got a writer involved earlier on in the process to to, to help kind of lay those groundworks. Um so, and the in terms of one of the challenges, I'm guessing it's so Rookie had these. We called them kind of like predator cameras. They'd sit somewhere behind a bush and like watch you as you kind of ran around. And we, we wanted to have this feeling of being watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it was from a production point of view, it made it we could really kind of 
orchestrate what we were showing to the player. Whereas with um, Mythrex, we wanted a slightly, we wanted a, a much closer in the camp, uh, closer in camera to kind of track the player as they're going around, more sort of move with the player, just to get really much closer to the character. And part of the reason for that was because um, Rurky was in 3D. When people see videos of it, and even when they're playing it, sometimes people don't really get that it's 3D. People think it's like a two and a half D deck. D- Two and a half D game. Put my teeth yeah. back in. Um, <laughs> and so I think, um, and so like, yeah, so we want the, the game to, the, I think the sense of 3D exploration is, is much greater in Mythrect. Um, and uh, one of the big challenges has been the whole game is set on this one island. It's almost like an ant's nest, lots of interconnected paths. And so mm-hmm. work, working out how to, you know, how to get through the island and how it's all interconnected. So you can, oh, what's that bit there? I want to get there later. You can get out there, but in a really kind of condensed way. So it's, um, there's definitely, uh, yeah, there's been some challenges there and some head scratching moments, but you're really in, enjoying it. And I think it's, there's been lots of, um, yeah, lots of, uh, lots of kind of eureka moments and, and, uh, yeah, it's something really having, working hard, but having, having good fun making it, it definitely feels like it's really, uh yeah really coming together and there's but there's been some like new mechanics that we've been working on so like with one evolution from rookie which was very much item-based puzzling where you'd be dragging things down from like a almost traditional inventory to try and you know use an axe on a log or something like that um we don't have that with um with mythrex but it's still there's lots of still item puzzles kind of so it's, it's about when you meet a god you'll you when you arrive on the island you'll you, you're given this ambrosi dex device suspiciously looking slightly like a mobile phone and um <laughs> and when you meet so uh, when you meet a new person you can add them as a friend on your ambrosi dex device and that that puts their almost like their uh their spirit signature into your into your ambrosi dex there's still like the soul and the information as well just like Facebook, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you'll um, and so yeah, there's, there's definitely like uh, almost like spoofing some of uh, like modern like social media stuff a little bit. Well, uh, but then once you have their kind of signature, it's almost like you can as you're exploring the island, your ambrosiates will will beep when you're close to um, something that has a strong emotional connection to that person, and so that almost and it's almost like a metal, emotional metal detector. So then you can track down. The, their lost items and bring them back to them to hopefully trigger a flashback of, of, of which will be a stage of returning their memory and identity. Um, so yeah, that's been quite good. And again, we wanted um, the exploration to be a really key part of the game. It's not about just getting from A to B. It's about, okay, you're exploring to find these things, tracking down these signals. Um, one of the other things we're working on is this how would you describe it it's almost like a um it's we've got a topic system and how this works is that um you can explore the world and you'll find something and examine it and that will unlock a new topic so for example alex will be running around the beach and she'll find an old abandoned tower and she'll go knock on the door and go hello and then i'll go no one's there and I'll go topic unlocks the tower uh, at that point, you can go and speak to anyone you've met about that topic. And so the, what we really want to do is really mesh um, ex- the exploration and the story system together so that 
as you explore, you're an active agent in going, oh, oh, right, I found that. Now I can go and ask people about that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it's almost like a, that's the phrase I was looking for. It's like a, sto- a story sandbox. Yeah. So, the, so basically you're exploring and carving out the story. So there's been some really good challenges with that. It's quite a different system, but um, uh, we really want to get that sense of freedom. It's like, it is yeah. like a, a, sa- a, a little mini sandbox that the player can go and explore, and um, and it's up to them. I think that's sense of freedom is uh not being having your hand held too much at least after yeah. the, after the start of the game is it can be quite nice uh yeah i think that's like something that i always love in games it's like you kind of like you get like a new item or you get to a new area and you're like oh i can go back and go to this like place now and it kind of it gives you like more things to do but you're getting like that that thrill of you know i can finally do this now and it's like really mm. good feeling isn't it so yeah that sounds really good Awesome. So where can people find you on social media? So me personally, I'm uh, on Twitter as at Canaratron and the studio account is at Polytreehouse and the Mithrek account is at Mithrek. Um, and we're quite we're, you know, reasonably active on all those things. Um, yeah, and it's a really good place to, to keep, keep abreast of of game and developments with this with the studio uh, we also have like if you can go to mythrec.com as well if, and sign up to our newsletter um if people are on twitter which is very understandable so uh, yeah <laughs> thanks so much for coming on alex um you're part of the very first episode uh, i wish you luck with the rest of the project and i'll keep my eyes peeled because i'm very much looking forward to playing it so awesome. well, thank thanks you again much. for your time bye-bye bye-bye thanks for listening to pixel what you preach if you enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe. It really helps. If you'd like to buy me a coffee to support me in the podcast, the link is in the show notes. And remember, it's your adventure. <laughs>